At the 2002 Emerging Technology Conference, Rohit Gahar gave an influential talk on an architecture he called Application Layer Internetworking. Five years later, that thinking has evolved, and now he's describing something called syndicated-oriented architectures. Up next on Interviews with Innovators, join host John Udell as he talks with Rohit about this vision and what it means on IT Conversations. We have convened to discuss this interesting new buzz phrase, syndication-oriented architecture, which I just love because I feel that it expresses a set of strategies that I've been thinking about and doing, actually, for, for a while now. Well, syndication-oriented architecture did come from being perhaps a bit clever. Uh, we were initially trying to work this summer on understanding how know-nows technologies, real-time publish, subscribe, and real-time event notification stuff fit into the service-oriented architecture which is how a lot of enterprises are rebuilding their core applications and integrating with their partners. And we said, actually, if service-oriented architecture is about using intelligence to connect your applications and your partner services on a machine-to-machine basis using XML, what is it we're seeing when we do it informally when it's applications to people and people to each other and people in groups? And we said that's syndication-oriented because we're taking the data that's natural language and RSS or Atom feeds and allowing users to connect those. Yeah, so one obvious thing which a lot of people are starting to do, I think, is to RSSify all kinds of sources of data. That's a reasonably straightforward proposition in one sense. In another sense, it actually gets complicated because in the enterprise, you want to have various kinds of guarantees about reliability and security and auditing and monitoring and things like that. So that's an opportunity for an industrial strength kind of solution to come in and and add those guarantees a different challenge and one that that you know we technologists i think are not addressing very much and need to think more about is the question of getting people in tune with this strategy of doing things because it is obvious to some of us to you and to me and and to a bunch of people who are computational thinkers how to kind of pipeline rss feeds together and produce them by tagging sets of resources which turn around and publish feeds which can be consumed by other aggregators which can in turn turn around and so you know we get the whole we get the whole aggregation and pipeline thing and and most people however don't right that's that's very non obvious to the average person and so i've been thinking a lot about how do we make those possibilities and those strategies more evident to people I would definitely want to race ahead to that level of thinking about the implications of it. I just wanted to kind of go back to the basics and uh, congratulate you for using a term that uh, sometimes is felt a bit in the wilderness, which was RSSify. Yeah. You know, it's a terrible abomination against the uh, English language and, and how we spell things, if anything. But this idea that uh, you can ingest data in any form, and it's not a lot of overhead. You've heard lots of kind of more hegemonic beliefs that if we could just move everything in the enterprise or everything on this project into a single logging system or a single messaging bus, and then immediately breaks down over the classic database integration problem of schema, which is, well, I use zip code and you use postal code, so we can't possibly log to the same file. Mm-hmm. And what's charming about RSS is that it's not a lot. It's just enough glue to hold things together. Exactly. And Adam picked up the same right lessons, which is who, what, when. And that's really the only mandatory items is that you've got some blob of data that's in HTML or plain text format. And you just have to help the system along by describing what the channel is or the topic name and describing who, and that's really important as you get especially towards enterprise auditing and so on, and then some uh, standard for timestamps, and therefore, by consequence, a standard for 
identifying this blob so I can detect later on if it got duplicated. So essentially a, a log line that says, here's what happened in my app just now. This is the event that just fired off, or here's an action I just took. Here's a record. But that record now can be shared in so many new ways. Uh, and so RSSifying is it's not a lot of work. It's just giving it a way to make it easy to ingest, and that now different tools can aggregate, remix, and display this stuff without knowing anything about the original application that generated it. Mm-hmm. This is the, really the first layer we talked about in this kind of five-layer stack of what uh, a syndication-oriented architecture would be. You know, publishing standards, uh, subscription standards, uh, distribution modules that let you reach out towards uh, things like phones and instant messengers, and then personalization at the fourth level, which is tracking what any one user likes, and collaboration at the fifth level, which is taking advantage of what everyone seems to be doing with the data and learning from each other to figure out the right trends. Mm-hmm. But coming back to that most basic of levels, simply putting in software that makes it easy to publish into so you can uh, capture all this data uh, is a big win. And again, uh, in, there are all kinds of real-world challenges. Not everything is from a blog or something where RSS is the native format or the native model of execution. Uh, a lot of times you're trying to say, hey, this data actually exists in this old SQL table. You know, We need a wizard that lets us pick columns out of it and then rerun that query every you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes and whenever it detects something new, inject that into the system. Um, and those are kinds of the things that round out a toolkit, which is where NoNow is nearly um, eight years after we first started building it because all the way back in our warehouse in, in 2000, uh, we were also using RSS. It was a little, little uh, sketchier back then. We immediately cottoned on to the fact that it was a really nice lingua franca for all the kinds of events we wanted to ingest, whether they were calendar data or new emails or new transactions, was, hey, if we always say, here's the field where you put who did it and when and what, then all these UI tools get so much easier. So I'll give you an example from another conversation that I had recently with a fellow who's been involved in the in the Defense Intelligence Agency's implementation of various kinds of Web 2.0 communication and publishing strategies. And so he's uh, close to the to the Intellipedia project, and he's close to the considerable amount of blogging that's actually going on now in the intelligence agencies. At one point, he told me that he asked some people how many RSS feeds were there in their internal system. And people scurried around, and he came back with uh, some number in the thousands of RSS feeds and were pleased with themselves that you know they had they had thousands of RSS feeds. And he said, "Yeah, but it was a trick question because the answer is that there are an infinite number of RSS feeds mm-hmm. in our system and it's infinite because any of the queries in a variety of tools can turn around and publish feeds." Right? So you guys are you guys are producers of feeds, not just consumers of them. But it wasn't it wasn't at all obvious to people that that was true. There's a tie in there as well with, you know, frankly, we all have our own uh, hobby horses, and, and mine has been this area of published subscriber of real-time uh, messaging, and now it's been coming up on a decade of dealing with that. I have many colleagues in the space who have been dealing with it for even longer, and it's, at one level, a very engineering different, different difference. It's push versus pull, uh, or as kind of an old mechanical engineering acquaintance of mine put it, saying in even older terms, like, why does the user care whether it's vacuum-driven or pressure-driven? <laughs> and yet, for some of us, it's really, really important because that shift from a mindset when you pull data out of a database by doing a query to one where it's pushed at you because the database is itself telling you when there's new records that have matched your previous queries. And that difference between saying I've got to actively request information and this chain of dominoes falling that says as soon as one thing happens, the next does, and the next does, and the next does, is all the difference in the world. But I have to absolutely respect the fact that's 
me speaking as an architect and as a software guy, mm-hmm. there's a whole different dimension saying for the end user. It's like, well, I come up in the morning and I open up my Yahoo. Aren't I happy enough? Um, so this question of blurring the line between push and pull, and that's something I've learned quite a bit about, is that you deliver it in whatever form people are most comfortable with. But it is still a big leap to say that the system is doing stuff when you're not watching. That's true. It's also a very big leap for people to begin to see that they are producers as well as consumers of these feeds and are producers of them just by virtue of going about their daily business and doing what they normally do. You know, you mentioned Facebook in your paper, and I thought that was apropos because I think that those of us who have kind of scratched our heads for these many years now about RSS, and as much as we feel that RSS has gone mainstream, we have to admit that in many ways it really hasn't yet. You know, that there are huge numbers of people who don't see any benefit in subscribing to RSS feeds and and who aren't particularly aware aware of the ways in which they may already be publishing them. And so Facebook is, I think, quite interesting in that regard because it sweeps away all of the geekery, right? It doesn't talk about feeds and RSS and Atom and subscribing and publishing and aggregating, right? It just puts you into this environment where you naturally become aware of the feedback effects that result from your activities in that environment. That's absolutely right. I mean, the, the implicit activities, the ability to uh, say that, hey, it's 2007, there's going to be an application someday where there's 35 million users, and the first thing they see every morning is going to be news feed, and it's going to do this really intelligent job of summarizing what everyone they know has been up to since they last logged in. Yeah. And yet, if you actually want to get RSS out of Facebook, that's a whole bunch of expert control panels down the help section. And there's like, you know, two or three little items you can get, like my posted items or so on. And, you know, RSS is by no means the way they internally think about it. It's no means the way the end users have to think about it. But the benefit, that we actually have people doing with a user interface that presents information in very much a, a syndication-oriented way because it's, you wouldn't have thought, I need to go sign up for a new consumer service that's going to tell me when people get break up or get married. And I need a service tells me when they're giving a talk and when they're not, mm-hmm. and when they posted a new link. And yet mm-hmm. here we have this wonderful, great consumer phenomenon showing that there is that pent-up demand. Mm-hmm. And once again, I think the enterprise has always had architects that want to predict this stuff, but until it happens in the consumer space, now you can come back to the office and say, don't you wish you had an interface like that so all of our field service techs could know what was going on and be just as collaborative as this is. Exactly. So how do we get there? Well, I think um, you get there by laying down those building blocks. The truth is that, yes, inside of Facebook.com or inside of one of these systems, uh, things very much are PubSub. They're very much thought of in terms of feeds and how do I merge them and how do I rank them and how do I decide what's the most important 10 things to forward along. But that doesn't mean that the user has to see all this plumbing. Right. From a programmer perspective, there's been a lot of excitement on things like Yahoo Pipes. And I wanted to stop for a second and talk about pipe and filter architectures, client-server architectures, what this notion of a software architectural style is. And I hope that can guide our question of how we get there from here. Okay. So an architectural style is just, uh, you know, sometimes we know them as design patterns and kind of at this informal level, it's just a set of constraints on how you lay out the problem and the components and how they communicate with each other. So pipe and filter is kind of one that a lot of people are familiar with from the Unix world, which is if the abstraction for a communication pathway is always a string of characters, then the abstraction for a module is something that takes a stream of characters in and then counts all the words or checks all the spelling or transforms them all to uppercase and then passes them out on the output port. And you can chain them together. And so hence, like physical plumbing, you've got pipes and filters and they go in a sequence and you can assemble them as almost even an end user. Client-server is another kind of architectural style where you say, 
hey, uh, we have multiple machines that want to cooperate. We're going to pick one of them and say that they have the official copy of the database. And then if all of us cooperate to read and write to that one server, then uh, we can have multiple interfaces running on all over the world, and we can all still be consistent with each other. And then later on, we've looked at the web. We have this REST architectural style, which some of our listeners may have heard as a buzzword or not. But it basically says, you know, client-server systems are still have their own REST because everyone has to connect to the server all the time, and everything has to go to that one box what if we said instead of directly manipulating those database tables, we play a game where I send you a hypertext page that represents what's going on, you fill out a form at your own leisure and send it back to me, and then I'll merge it back in. But the nice thing is now everything that we do on the web can be cached, can be replayed, can we have our own security models for it, and so on. So you look at these things as kinds of styles, the pipe and filter style, or the client-server style of developing a system, or this web-oriented REST style where every record has a URL I can get and post to it. Uh, the syndication-oriented style says, hey, what if all the communications between our applications are in the form of these RSS articles? And sure, some articles look like what we think they look today, news wires, blog entries, a new bookmark added in Delicious, uh, but some of them are going to look like they were generated by applications, uh, an exception raised by an order management system, a uh, notification that a customer order has shipped the um, ability to then also merge the two by saying you've got field support systems, like I'm out there in the field and I need a part. Can I please send my request not just to the warehouse, but to all the other techs who are working on this zip code in case one of them can drive it over to me and I can still get this job done? And that's where we just introduced the next part, which is, hey, intelligently rerouting these messages. It's one thing to ingest them, and this is the first level of a syndication architecture, is that let's standardize publishing. What if all of my tools enterprise can publish RSS feeds? And a lot of them do natively, and a lot of times you write these somewhat smarter adapters. But anytime you're doing a query, you're setting up something to an internal database or reporting system that can be rerun every so often and become a feed. Every time you take an action, like creating a new trouble ticket or leaving a customer job and saying, okay, I'm done with this site, I'm going to the next one, is the equivalent of publishing. It's that implicit activity all of us take on that other people can learn from. Let's just replay the taxonomy that you went through. You talked about pipeline, client server, and REST. Um, and then you introduced syndication. Would you say that the essential characteristic of the syndication style is its focus on events, that it's event-driven? That's right. I mean, which of these is not like the others? Uh, what's important is that it gets back to having push or that technically it's known as implicit invocation, that because you've published an event doesn't mean you know exactly who's going to take the next action. There could be any number of software modules or people or groups listening in for that, and then they decide to take action on their mm -hmm. own. And so with pipe and filter, you have this notion of streaming, which was as the user typed on the console, those characters are going on and then being piped through the word count and the grep and so on. Um, but with client server and later on with REST, you went back to a much more reactive proposition, which was, I'm going to sit around at the server and wait until someone tells me something to do, and I'm going to update my database, tell them I'm done, and then go back to waiting. And syndication-oriented tries to bring back some of that streaming aspect, which is, yes, you've just published and told me this event, but, hey, I better run around now and go and tell a whole bunch of people who told me they were interested and, and see if they don't want to take some actions as a consequence, and like dominoes falling. Mm -hmm. That's very much it. I mean, if you look at these four styles, that uh, pipe and filter, client server, rest, and now um, what we're trying to abbreviate in our casual conversations, uh, SINOA, you know, SOA for service-oriented and SINOA for syndication-oriented. 
And the QS syndication is one, the syndication format, which is what everybody sees at the top level. Are we using feeds and RSS and integrating all these Web 2.0 type of uh, themes? But the other aspect of syndication is that it's the change in how you communicate. It's the difference between kind of poll or uh, directly addressed email and magazine subscription. It's one of the very old metaphors for publish, subscribe. Is that simply by saying once a year you're interested in this topic means that every week or every so often you're getting the data you need to go out and decide what to do next. One thing that you haven't mentioned is tagging. And in my mind, it's very closely connected to the uses of syndication that I see from the human perspective. This is the mechanism whereby human beings can inject metadata into these syndication processes and influence the flows. Tagging is absolutely one of these impl uh, implicit activities we should help with. And sometimes it's a slightly different task. I love this term I learned from a research group at the University of Washington, which was refinding. You know, finding data is a different task than finding it again. And tagging, when we're doing it for ourselves, is simply a matter of maybe if it's a social bookmarking system, tagging a site so that I can find it again. But part of what was magic was unlocking it so that we're hoping that other people, by sharing those bookmarks, say, we'll refine it in the same ways. And in refining, you know, we use these much shorter kind of mnemonics, like a tag, rather than having to say it was this whole description of the original data. But being able to tag something, whether it's an email in Gmail or a bookmark, these are all still fairly novel concepts, but I think they have huge potential when applied into other kinds of data sources because they allow users to incrementally automate what they're already doing. So if you're looking at trouble tickets and remedy, can I tag that too to say, hey, that's bothering, that, that reminds me, it's about this part, and so that later on not only can I find all the tickets I've tagged with that part, but perhaps we can have the system detect a pattern that says, you know, a lot of people are referring back to this one, they would need to redesign that part. Yeah, it also provides hooks for collaboration in ways that I don't feel are very widely appreciated yet. So I, I got interested recently in sources of public data. So I started tagging sources with the tag public data, and I invited other people to do the same, and other people did. And then by subscribing to that feed, I was able to see a bunch of proposed members of that class flowing in to the global bucket in Delicious, right? So in other words, you know, I've got my account and you've got your account and we each have our private pools of things that are tagged that way. But then there's also this global bucket from a PubSub perspective. It's like a topic, right? There are subordinate topics and there's a superordinate topic. Um, and the, the interplay among those is really interesting. I can curate is how I think about it. I can curate the superordinate topic in my subordinate topic um, and establish a subset of it. And you can have a different curation of that same thing. And people who may be interested in what I'm interested in can subscribe to mine, and people who follow more of what you care about can follow yours. But both of those collections are feeding off of something common. There's just something about that model that is just, it, it's incredibly interesting and incredibly powerful and incredibly hard to show people or explain to people or, or, or get people to participate in. Well, cooperative and collaborative tasking is, is always a challenge, especially once you get back to kind of a corporate or, or enterprise setting, you know, or groupware and so on has this long history of realizing, yes, the tools work, but you also have to change the culture around it. Yeah. And the culture that's grown up around systems like Delicious and uh, social bookmarking is just as exciting as any of the technology that did as well. It's that idea that, hey, even though this isn't quote-unquote capital R, capital W, real work, I, John, I'm just curating some URLs this way, and other people want to help out, and they say, hey, that's convenient, I'm going to use that abstraction as well. But the building block it's based on, make no mistake, is this messy, informal world of natural language. 
Uh, it's far from semantic web or any kind of more formal taxonomy where you're really saying, these rules all correspond to sites that have the following kinds of access policy, which we call public access to the data. Uh, it's just saying, hey, there's this, you know, thin letter string, you know, public data that I've attached to this. And if you want to use the same string, great. And now I have this nice piece of software in the middle uh, that's helping re-syndicate it back to me so I can learn what everybody else is using that 10-letter string for. Exactly. Now, this gets back to the syndication rate architecture at uh, another couple of upper layers up, which is fine. You standardize how to publish the data, how to subscribe to the data. In this case, to simply say, I'd like to know everything that happens with that 10-letter tag and how you might distribute it, which is I'd like it delivered, in this case, maybe as a web browser, but maybe I want it delivered right into my browser session itself. So it's in my menu as a delicious menu or something within the browser or the way Flock integrates social bookmarks. But level four, personalization, is where we're just beginning to scratch the power of tagging. Now, the thing is, in public data, you have a pretty clear meaning about, but to another team of students somewhere else studying something like demographic data, they might mean an entirely different kind of set of feeds, data about the public. Or sometimes in another project, they're saying, hey, this is private data, and this is the public stuff we can say about what we're shopping for. Now, the fact that you're expecting a few million people to all agree on the same sentiment for that 10-letter string is a lot to ask for. Um, certainly, it works in the small, especially it works in the original days. And if you choose your tag wisely, which, of course, puts some of the burden back on the original author, mm-hmm. use that. Um, but at least it's worth acknowledging that in the limit, um, there are going to be confusing terms. You know, if I'm collecting a bunch of stuff on natural disasters and I'm tagging them mudslide, and the next morning I wake up and I've got a whole bunch of photos of the latest frat boy party because they're all enjoying drinking mudslides, we have a problem here. And that's some of the stuff we talk about at layer four, which is can your syndication bus learn from patterns about saying, hey, this is what I wrote it mean by mudslide. To me, it means this kind of mud flow, destruction, debris, all these correlated terms. If somebody else wants to use mudslide as a bartender, good for them. Can the system help support me in doing that? And uh, those are some of the really emerging capabilities is that personalizing a feed and then ultimately then collaborating within a feed. Because even if there are several of us who are all trying to say track disasters and we're seeing that we have a consistent meaning for the word mudslide, the fact that there's some new paper published that's getting a lot of buzz that several of us are reading about saying, wow, I didn't know that kind of liquefaction occurs under these conditions, uh, and promoting that and surfacing that to the general community of people who have maybe a passing interest in mudslides, they aren't quite as obsessive with it but having an escalate on their radar to say, this is an interesting new paper of how we should handle this kind of disaster and getting out to the larger disaster relief community. So I can imagine at least two different ways in which what you're calling a syndication bus could help disambiguate a term like that. So tell me if either or both corresponds to stuff that you're thinking about or, or doing. One way would be content analysis. Like you said, it would watch, it would learn what, what seems to be meant by this tag and could then disambiguate. The other strategy is, who's saying this? Right. There's kind of user-user and item-item as two broad ways of going about it. And one thing that's very important is that the system underneath should never lose track of it. If you ever just call it that 10-letter string, you've made a mistake. And the way like Delicious or other systems do is they always say J-U-Dell slash tag slash you know, exactly. or, or public data. Exactly. And the service can do both content analysis, which I might, well, in my tentative taxonomy, I put it level four, personalization software. We can also do social network analysis, yes. which is the collaboration layer of layer five. Mm-hmm. The idea that if you do, in some ways, centralize the total information flow, uh, but you get this benefit of decentralizing awareness. And that's an interesting paradox that 
you know, yes, there's software that can do more complex things, but basically if I have this one syndication bus that's responsible for delivering information to all of my users and everyone in the community, then that same piece of software is in a very good position to detect patterns and emerging trends. And so if you think about, again, something that not a mass market is aware of, but you and I are the meme trackers, the idea of a business like uh, TechCrunch or TechMeme or TailRank, um, the ability to detect these trends and say, hey, this is a hot story, this is a cluster of themes that's come up in the last two hours, right. that's going to be, I think, really, really powerful when it mainstreams. And that's where we're getting back towards things like Facebook, that they're really now talking to a new generation of uh, millions of people, not just 100,000, that are getting used to this idea that the system should be darn well watching the activities of hundreds and hundreds of other information sources and telling me the top 10 things every morning. So to be really specific about this example, then, theoretically, what would a syndication bus be able to do in this kind of a case in terms of helping me to collaborate with people who, in an emergent way, develop an interest around some topic which is expressed you know, through the things that they tag or the things that they subscribe to or the things that they publish, right? What are the kinds of services, what are the kinds of capabilities that can enhance and accelerate that, that emergence? Well, someone first comes to mind is I'm always thinking about where the boundaries are blurred between person-to-person communication and application-to-person and group communication. So I'm thinking not just about maybe the articles about mudslides that you and I are reading about, but perhaps also the raw data, the stuff that's coming from the seismograph, stuff that's coming from the Weather Channel, um, and being able to merge some of that semi-structured data in as well. It's an architectural style. It's not a particular product. So it's not like you can kind of say, hey, syndication bus A versus the syndication bus B has these features that will help you out. But it's a way of thinking about if you are going to write custom software modules for each of these aspects, where do they plug in? Hmm. And unlike, say, just, again, a standard news RSS aggregator, do you have the separation of concerns between where I can publish, put in a new publication module, a new subscription module, a new distribution module, or, again, the personalization or collaboration modules? syndication bus would help the folks you know, working over at FEMA or the journalists working the beat or the local zoning office uh, working in the city by giving them the ability to all send and publish information at different data rates, but still receive it at the ones they want to know about. Clearly, for someone who's a full-time job working at FEMA, they're going to be seeing a huge volume of new papers and reports and trying to classify and tag that. And for them, Mudslide, as I said, is a superordinate category. There's a huge number of subcategories and questions about quicksand and fissures and so on. Um, but for the city manager and down in Malibu, they may need, you know, they're trying to juggle 10 other concerns, and they need to kind of get the top 1% or 2% of whatever is tracked in that area. Mm-hmm. And that's the most appealing aspect. Right now, what we have with classical publish-subscribe systems is the fire hose. You say you want everything about topic X, here's the complete feed of topic X where I think the frontiers lie is expecting more of the bus. So I can say, I'd like to know about topic X, but just the top quintile of data. And you figure out how to do that. So what's the scope of this thing? Because, of course, the one of the classic problems with any kind of enterprise groupware is the critical mass problem, right? There just aren't enough people in the company to give you those kinds of effects that you get when you're operating at web scale. It's a very good question. I mean, if we went back, again, 10 years, you might think about web search engines and say, you know, what's their natural scope? I mean, Clearly, everything that's a web server, and we have millions of those sites, ought to also be a web search engine, right? And uh, somewhat to, frankly, my surprise and others, um, it's been economically viable 10 years later to even have one organization run a search engine everyone touches. Yeah, my surprise, too. The natural scope turns out to be, at the moment, one company does it for everybody, and then you pick your provider out of the top dozen search engines for the web. 
And now, do you think that in a syndication bus, there's going to be one massive overarching syndication bus that works? Because the critical mass there is you can't even begin to compute whatever equivalent of page rank there is until you've got billions and billions of records. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, I'm much more hopeful about there being this more fettered architecture, which is that when you're running just an instance behind your firewall, but you're trafficking in data that is of interest to the outside world, so there's a semi-permeable membrane, you're getting some feeds about every time your company gets mentioned in the outside world, and then you're trying to circuit around the marketing department. So in a, in a case study, you know, the California State Automobile Association kind of installed the now software for a bit of this purpose, which is to replace their kind of clip file they mail around every week of hard copy of dozens and dozens of news mentions mm-hmm. to automate that process of detecting it from the marketing department and then pushing it out to people who only, of course, need to know about the tiny parts that affect their department, their office, their region, not mm. everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the benefit is that, sure, inside you have this you know private data, which is that the employee has flagged this as being related to our marketing image, and then maybe a bit of classification saying these are the territories that affect, these are the lines of the product types, and then the internal customers can look at that same data and slice it and say, okay, I want to know about only these lines of business in this territory. But the semi-permeability goes back to saying, for every one of those articles you forwarded along, though, they were a press release or someone's blog post entry where they were complaining about something or else. And those blog posts do have public data you can go back and mine more of. Who's commented on it? Mm-hmm. What's the page rank of the site that it was published to? Mm-hmm. Who else has linked to trackbacks to it? Especially in the realm of unstructured data and news articles or kind of blog entries or trouble tickets or notes from the field. Um, some of that stuff is very private data, but some of that, to speak to our earlier example, is public data. And the more that a bus can do to recognize it doesn't have everything going through its own purview, there's going to be other buses out there and other data sources to consult. So you can go hit up Technorati or Sphere or so on and ask them, how much traffic or buzz has this generated? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I recently came across another startup a couple weeks ago called AIDRSS, A-I-D-E. Um, and they have something they call PostRank, where they're just looking at, again, those social activity indicators. But it was a reminder of, boy, it's way more powerful to say, I want to subscribe to the top few percent of the traffic on this feed rather than all of it, as measured by the activities that other people undertake with it, as far as commenting on it, bookmarking about it, and so on. Um, and so that's going back to inside enterprise. Yeah, your best case is to merge the data you can get publicly and using that to kickstart something privately. If you just simply took a copy of Dig or, or Plague, the open source clone, and ran that inside your firewall, it wouldn't be too exciting because there's just not enough statistical numbers to create really reliable signal. That's true, although you also have the opportunity, because you know so much more in principle about workflows and organizational structures and communication patterns you have the opportunity to tune that system internally so that it is much more responsive to fainter signals. Well, I think also you can just collect more signals. So, I mean, the joy of this stuff is the implicit data collection that, you know, uh, another phrase that's a little highfalutin, but it's that turbocharging your system by collecting your data exhaust. You know, all day long you're working on something, and every activity you take is something that can be recorded and could potentially be of use to other folks. Yeah. You have to balance that against privacy concerns, and those are some of the modules that are indicated in, in the syndication rate architecture, especially at the collaboration layers, is that how can you have data storage policies that enforce privacy and so on. But simply going back to this kind of, you know, tracking what the hot developments are in our field of expertise, whether it be mudslides or package shipments or uh, repairing copiers, uh, if I can track, say, everything you've read, that's a little difficult bargain to do in the public open sphere. But inside of a company with an employment relationship, it might be much entirely appropriate. Mm-hmm. And so to go to a portal page that says, 
here are the top FAQs or product you know, assembly numbers that have been cited in the last 24 hours by looking at what people are reading, what people are flagging in their trouble tickets and so on, uh, is very powerful. And I think that's something you can do only inside of a smaller, closed, more trusted group. Yes. You're not trying to say this is a new knowledge management system. That's its own scary bugaboo is that, you know, we're going to install this new knowledge management system that is going to mandate this is how you have to read RSS in the company. This is the, it's going to collect all the RSS in the company. This is the only way you can tag stuff. Uh, and it's going to be this gigantic warehouse that's going to be like, you know, well, I mean, I would call it the Lotus Notes of social software. So, of course, Lotus Notes is trying to enter this web 2.0 social space as well. A syndication architecture is not a single product that becomes a data warehouse that has to store every gesture in the enterprise. It's a way of connecting the software you're going to write that's going to want to analyze those signals. It's much less overarching than all that, and it recognizes it's not a system of record of its own. There are signals flowing around in the organization that indicate who's interested in, who's bookmarking, who's reading certain things. Given the systems that people are already using, which are going to be email, which are going to be whatever they are, right? Is this a, is this a question of outfitting these systems with syndication hooks? Well, I mean, at the lowest level of simply uh, collecting the data for analysis, that's, again, a publication layer concern, which is can you make it as easy as possible to publish the data right back into the system? So if you're using a newsreader or kind of a, especially one of the built-in web-based newsreaders, it's very easy for the web server itself at that time to collect, here's what I showed you, here's what you clicked through on, kind of build a Bayesian model of what it is you like. That's easy to do. But if it's looking at email saying, hey, their email that had had this new product bulletin has gotten forwarded around 30 times as often, those kinds of metrics are also going to be you know, perhaps dumped by some database once a week or so on. Uh, can they be imported easily? And that's the nature of why it's really clever and been powerful that RSS uh, or Atom works as a kind of feed import format that's lightweight but just has enough structure to make it easy to can that to tell someone, please write an adapter so I can import this report and, or make it turn into a feed that I query every so often has not turned out to be so hard. Um, and that's also, you know, where the different vendors have different products that help out. And um, as I said, know now, we've got a lot of these you know, database adapters and a lot of years of experience in making that work down to the point of being this wizard. But I do want to push on the email thing because that is, of course, I mean, that's where people live. Well, I mean, I'm not sure that, that everyone's caught up with that same point of view. And in some ways, we're also hearing from everyone, all the kids today, as it were, that email is a dying breed. So I guess we'll find out how it plays out. My personal vision for this uh, is one where the point of this syndication bus is that it can connect a lot more than just HTTP and RSS. It's designed to work uh, kind of like Rust does, uh, an abstraction layer above mail, above web, above uh, you know the different kinds of instant messaging protocols. All of those are fair game to directly be routed through the bus. So the fact that an email got read is notification that if you're assuming to with the right privacy safeguards to publish right back into the bus and then figure out what code needs to analyze that. Um, okay. You know, at the same time, are people using the products that way? And are, are people as aware that, you know, hey, I can mine a lot of data out of email? That's still been a touchy subject. We've now seen a couple of startups come into the space and uh, that are trying to mine your corporation's latent intelligence as to what people are emailing about, who they email to, and mm-hmm. just colleagues to speak with. And um, I'm, I'm curious to see how people have been reacting to those products. Uh, it's, it's been, um, it has, certainly hasn't taken over the world yet. No. It has not. So you asked, you know, what's the role of a syndication bus? You know, how much is it responsible for in trying to pick up all these signals? And this is, uh, again, initially going to be a very technical point, and I'll try to bring it back to something hopefully a little more practical, which is we're currently seeing a transformation between the role of these products, whether it's the enterprise version like a TIBCO bus or um, even a, a consumer-facing like blog lines, 
to saying, right now, the fundamental abstraction for a topic has been a queue, and it's moving towards being a graph. Um, if I say that, you know, like an inbox in an email folder, here's a topic, here's the last 30 messages, I can sort by date, and you can see the subject lines. It, it very much seems to map to the natural notion that these are items in a queue. It also maps to how email servers and RSS servers and instant messaging servers want to operate, which is mm-hmm. you don't have a lot of CPU, not a lot of memory, and you're trying to deal with millions of messages. You want to take one message off the queue, look at it, decide who should receive it, deliver it to them, and then move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. And you want to kind of deal with these as, you know, kind of, uh, um, you know, pearls on a necklace. They're just each one of those is independent, self-contained decision, uh, an IP router looking at IP packets coming in. And that's a sense which I say these are kind of atomic items on a queue or on a topic or a channel. And the big shift is going to come when you get to a graph model, when, like the web, you start realizing, hey, this trouble ticket that I'm trying to decide who to deliver it to, it's actually internally got links. It links back to the parts that had to get replaced. It links back to the customer that it was for. links back to the region that the problem occurred in. And the the grail I would put out here, and again, getting towards these more uh, speculative upper layers of the architecture and kind of laying out a roadmap, is I will be most impressed when the day comes that an event comes in, that a new development has occurred. Somebody has published the third email in this discussion thread saying, we got to respond to this editorial of the New York Times that makes us not look so smart today. And what the event router kicks out on my desktop is not that email, not the two emails that preceded it, but it tells me, you should read this New York Times article. And that idea that what it's done is link analysis, that just because one event comes in doesn't mean it's that event that comes out. It's, in fact, when that came in, it recalculated the relative importance of all the billions of stored events and said, this one is now over the threshold. Because mm-hmm. three people whom you talk to frequently have all commented on this thing, um, that's the thing you should read. And that kind of consequence in management, not that an event comes in and that same event goes out, but an event comes in and some other previously stored thing becomes more or less important. Um, that's the transformation doing a graph model. So this indication bus is a bus, things are flowing across it, but it's not a database. It's not, it's not going to store the totality of all of this stuff, so there's not going to be the possibility of recalculating globally. Well, that's where we're still on a journey here, and I'm trying to see you know, what other products will come out in this space. Right now, um, another phrase that's coming out of the database community is stream processing systems. Yeah. And, you know, there is a blurred line. If it was a pure bus, like a party line in the old, you know, telecom sense, um, there'd be no memory and there'd be no room for the bus or the syndication or the architecture to do some of these tricks we're talking about. And that's why it reveals a vision for something a little different. It's not just uh, relabeling of old world middleware publish subscribe stuff, but now with RSS and shiny new ingredients. In fact, <laughs> again, we're the line of it. It's, it's a syndication or architecture as a way towards not just communicating right now, but storing patterns, indexing them, managing the resources it takes to store and index the stuff, and ultimately, as I suggested, you know, trying out alternative models that rather than maybe being a queue for storage, it's actually a graph. And the same way, you know, when, when Google spiders a new page and recalculates its page rank, uh, you know, we see a new event and we have to recalculate, uh, you know, what, what's worthy of notification. Or as something suddenly becomes so important that it doesn't just belong on your inbox or your homepage, it's now important enough we should SMS you. Yeah. I think this has been an interesting conversation. I know we've stated a lot about the implications and vision of it. I think some of it is also to remind people that there are practical ways of getting started on this path as well. As a knowledge management approach, uh, the syndication architecture has a vision for connecting both the kind of app-to-people types of messages and the kinds of people collaborative group where we're trying to help each other sort of situation. Um, but it's not entirely all in the future. I mean, the basic steps to take are begin very simply, and I think they still have a lot of power, which is simply 
simply unlocking data and making it easy for someone to remix because I can now add a module to my homepage that's all the trouble tickets in our company, but only in the zip code. I really feel that that sort of thing has gotten a lot more traction than simply saying we put yet another new business intelligence layer in and you can go request a report from IT if you'd like to have one delivered every week. You know, once you rephrase it, it's just this is news. It's news generated inside of our company. It's news generated by some of our systems, and you can read the news however you like. Um, you really, I think, liberate people's mindset and approach towards doing this. If you tell them, if you don't tell them you're doing system integration, they tend to do it. Yeah. The interesting trick here is to give people the sense of the power that they have to influence these flows. In other words, when they can see that by, let's say, tagging some subset of those tickets for that zip code as being related to a particular thing that you care about. And when that act of tagging is first and foremost undertaken for purely personal reasons, like I just have to keep track of it for myself anyway, it's just part of my job. However, when instead of that keeping track of the stuff happening just locally in your own world and never being discoverable by anyone else, when it happens in a way that is discoverable, and when someone does discover it... and does, by people you trust discovered by people you trust and work with, you know, who would otherwise have been unaware. But when you flip that switch and say, I'm doing this in an environment where I'm doing the same things that I would do anyway for myself. But now there's the possibility that that folks around me can, to varying degrees of sensitivity, become aware of this. And normally I don't notice that they're being made aware of it. But, but when, because they're aware of it, they react in a way that matters to me, then there really is this aha moment. I want to get back to that social feedback, too, and the pleasure of recognition on the team. Yeah. Because you've been tagging this the last few months, someone in engineering calls you up and asks for your opinion on how we should repair this press, should redesign the parts so it'll be easier to repair. Yeah. That's real value being unlocked. But, yeah. but it also depends on kind of that social happiness you get. So connecting people is still the ultimate goal of the software. Yeah. Not, we're not talking about operational resource management where we, you know, buy your three tons of plastic more optimized and save you three cents a pound. It's, it's about connecting people. Yeah. To me, one of the most interesting things on, say, a newspaper site like the New York Times, the LA Times, is the most read, most emailed tab. Mm-hmm. And you know, if I could just know what was most read or most emailed by people in my company or my friends, those are some very powerful ideas. And that's just as simple as that. Simply knowing which trouble tickets most people have read or which you know, FAQs you know, or kind of uh, bulletins are the most popular um, tells you a lot. That's just the order one signal. Taking the first derivative of that signal over time to say, here are the risers and falling part bulletins. Yeah. I heard somebody say recently, I wish we had trackback for email. <laughs> and what they were observing is that in the in the public blogosphere, when they put something out there and then anyone reacts to it in the slightest way, you immediately know. But when you fire off an email into an organization, unless you know, you're explicitly CC'd on some reply, you never know, right? I mean someone could actually be reacting to what you said and there could be this whole effect that would have been produced and you would have no way of knowing about it. Well, in fact, right now in the modern email world, you'd be hunkered down trying to avoid it because we're, <laughs> right. we're trying so hard to, you know, the email mechanism of being CC'd on a reply is, is actually kind of rude right now because yes. it's so intrusive. Yes. But, you know, the fact that if someone could gold star it the way you can like star a message in Gmail and then get back a casual feed and says, you know, 37 people have starred this thread. You know, you exactly. did a good job here. Exactly. And, and do that in a way that protects people's privacy. You can't say one person has, only send it to one person, so now I know who it is. Yeah. Um, but to pick up those trends is really powerful. Yes. And, and that goes back to the question of kind of reimagining uh, syndication or architecture as not just a boss uh, and not just a newsreader, but a platform for writing all kinds of new and interesting analysis modules. Sounds good, right? 
Yeah, no, I think it's, um, you know, those are the, those are the, the twin aspects is that the, the serendipitous discovery of people's attention and awareness. And then the other aspect of this is the serendipitous automation of what you're doing. Um, you know, I remember when we've talked in the past, I was mentioning, um, that I helped set up a research lab at CommerceNet uh, over the last few years, and the founder and chairman there is a guy named Marty Tenenbaum. He's an old hand in the artificial intelligence world. They said a lot of the, you know, but a lot of artificial intelligence setting yourself up with very hard challenges. And I think, you know, a lot of times you can unlock value, as he said, with just IA, incremental automation. Mm-hmm. And the ability that once you've got these little bite-sized chunks of information there, the ability to write, whether it's a little script or another program or just to take an automated step you're already doing, um, those power, it's like basically, you know, I think about EAI, which is right now enterprise application integrations, a very big budget, very high order topic, run out of IT, to instead be replaced by a bunch of incremental steps, a couple of scripts, some automation, some reaction that when I get these three kinds of events, I should be aware of them, or these three I don't need to. That's actually happening now bottom up. And the idea that integration uh, can happen that way, too. So serendipity is the real zen of moving to a published subscribe system as opposed to a command and control, I'm telling you system. And when that serendipity occurs in detecting patterns of information access, or the serendipity comes when someone who's in the field decides to automate handling a certain kind of trouble ticket, and then that, that kind of knowledge gets shared, that's the, the real power of, of the architecture of participation. Well, thanks, Rohit. This all makes perfect sense to me. And I think it's going to start to make more sense to more people in the near future. You've been listening to Interviews with Innovators with host John Udell. The post-production audio engineer for this program was John Udell. Our website editor was Niels Makel. The series producer is Niels Makel. This is Phil Wendley. I hope you'll join me next time for another great edition of Interviews with Innovators on IT Conversations.